load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Weekly Weights. It's an episode, 120? 120. 120, and we are joined today by a special guest, Julia Klein. Oh, you did it. (laughs) Um, Julia is a physiotherapist, and she's going to talk to us a bit about the pelvic floor and powerlifting, but I feel like that was a very underwhelming introduction to you. Um, So, Julia, can you tell us who you are, what you're doing here, and the difference between your surname spelling and pronunciation so that people can look you up. <laughs> cool. You did awesome pronouncing that, by the way. Um, I'm Julia. Um, I work at PB Physio uh, in Marrickville and I am a musculoskeletal and a women's health uh, physiotherapist. Um, my surname is pronounced Klein, uh, but it is spelt, it's a bit tricky, it's H-L-A-I-N-G. Um, so definitely it's um, all like growing up, it's always been pronounced differently so really it's fine (laughs) um but yeah so my my specialty my special interest is in particularly uh, pelvic floor health and also particularly for women like athletic women who enjoy lifting um so I really appreciate that you guys have had me have me on today no thanks for coming on we really appreciate it so I guess like you've kicked off what we're going to talk about today which is um the pelvic floor and how it relates to powerlifting so let's just start from uh, the first point that we could possibly start from, which is what is the pelvic floor? Yes. So a lot of people think that the pelvic floor is just one muscle, but there are many muscles that make up the pelvic floor. And most importantly, it's actually really vital to realize that the pelvic floor is also connective tissue. It isn't just a muscle on its own. Um, so in terms of attachment, if you even think of, if you can actually feel the hard bone right in front of your pelvis so like that it's called the pubic symphysis the pubic bone there it helps to kind of get that idea right so that hard bone the pelvic floor attaches from there all the way to your coccyx so your tailbone so front to back and then it also attaches left to right so from your sit bones so it's really if you imagine like a trampoline that's literally like that muscle Um, so different types of muscles connected all intertwined and connective tissue as well and guys and girls both have pelvic floor so it's not just a female thing so everyone you can touch those points at home while you listen along yes yeah i was touching myself in the (laughs) um, i don't think an episode episode goes by where you don't touch yourself will (laughs) not when you're right next to me alex it's hard to resist um Julia, you said it's made up of muscles and connective tissue. Are those muscles like just pelvic floor muscles or are the muscles other muscles that, you know, lifters and people with an interest in anatomy might know the name of that have other functions as well? Yeah. So like the coccygeus, for example, I think a lot of people know about that. Um, even like, no, <laughs> <laughs> Both of us like people get, some people get coccyx pain and that could be a contributing factor to that. Um, well, I guess the glutes and every like the glute muscles, they're external. They're a lot more external, but also they do play a, a role, um, particularly, I guess, on assessment. Uh, what I'm starting to find is that some people who have weak glutes on one side particularly can actually have weaker pelvic floor muscles on that side. So, I mean, there is a bit of correlation external and internal muscles too. Um, a muscle called the inter- obturator internus, which uh, is a very common muscle. It actually, it helps um, I guess particularly a lot of sumo lifters particularly may have quite t- 
tight or tense um, obturator mus uh, internus muscles, um, and that connects into the hip from the pelvic floor. And so sometimes if people are really tight in those areas, it can cause hip pain and hip issues as well, but it is actually quite internal. Yeah. Right, and, and so the pelvic floor, you said it sort of stretches across that bowl that is our pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, what is its function anatomically or what are its functions? Yeah, function-wise, as most people know, it helps us with our bladder and bowel, so controlling that. Um, it helps us with sexual function, so for men, getting that, you know, erection um, and, you know, for females, really that sensation as well when having sex. Uh, it's part of the core as well. So it, it, it forms is part of that. So it's the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, we have our abdominal muscles, we have our multifidus at the back. So it forms that core, which a lot of people term the core just being abs, which is not only that. Um, and then it also, it works actually together with our breath. So, you know, when we actually breathe in, when we breathe in, our diaphragm expands and contracts and our pelvic floor actually eccentrically lengthens as well. And as we exhale, it contracts and comes back up again. So it's like a piston that works together. So it actually does a lot. It holds our internal organs as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. So I think the, like, the breathing stuff will probably have twigged some of the power of just minds, but but the relationship to the other muscles that we think of as the core is important too. Mm -hmm. So what, what does having a strong or a tense pelvic floor do for us in terms of like generating intra-abdominal pressure? So in terms of when we're bracing, mm. do you mean? Yeah. So it does, it helps. So the pelvic floor actually co-contracts with our transversus abdominis, so our deep um, abdominal muscle. So it does help to maintain that tension. Um, you know, if, if we are losing, um, I guess, any amount of pressure from within, then we will be losing that strength and ability to maintain that tension too. Um, of course, the other thing is incontinence. So, you know, experiencing leakage from um, like the, the urethra, um, or even for some people, it could be fecal incontinence. So from the back passage, if we have weakness in the pelvic floor, which can also cause obviously, um, I guess, issues with lifting in general too. Yeah, it was, I, I actually wanted to tease that out a little bit because I think people do think of pelvic floor issues in lifting as, you know, being largely related to incontinence. Um, how is it for people, again, who don't know the anatomy of this, how is it that the pelvic floor has to do with, say, urinary, um, urinary health and control and, and I guess also bowel health and control? Are there perforations or something through the pelvic floor that the fluids pass through? It could be, uh, or usually it's it's a weakness of some sort. So there's too much pressure that um, there's no closure. Uh, for some people um, who may already show signs of like hypermobility, so they're usually really lax, they can have something called urethral hypermobility. And that's really going kind of deep into it. But um, it's when, so the urethra is the passageway that leads to our bladder. And for some people, if the connective tissue is quite mobile, it can actually be, it can move. It's quite mobile. And so when there's no stop um, or a closure, so the pressure is not able to close, then it will allow the incontinence to occur. So um, for example, let's just say a really good analogy is thinking about a water hose. So I'm going to turn that water hose on. So it's going to be running, right? If I put that water hose onto a mobile, like a trampoline, 
and I try to step on that hose, it's going to keep going and it won't stop, right? Because there's movement and there's no closure. So if I put that hose on concrete and it's hard and I step on that hose, it's going to stop the flow. Does that kind of like make sense? So yeah, so it's, that's why I'm saying like, it's not just the pelvic floor, but if there's pelvic floor weakness, then the person may not be able to have that closure to stop it with that increase in pressure from our brace or from whatever we may be doing with, with lifting, coughing, sneezing, whatever it may be. Yeah. So like, that's really important knowing that the, the muscle is, is vital in that concept, but it's also, that's why I said before about the connective tissue as well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the pelvic floor is sort of like intrinsic to, or like integral to like almost every function that we do. You say it's involved in respiration. It's involved yeah. in controlling your abdomen during movement. It's in, involved in not pooping and peeing yourself it's mm -hmm. important yeah it's crazy like there's some emg studies that showed um like even with running and jumping um you know or running particularly if before we even heel strike it, it actually has this innate reflex that engages before we land and then you know it does its thing without us usually having to think about it um coughing and sneezing we usually have that ability that reflexive ability to contract before we cough and sneeze um which can sometimes be damaged and that's when people experience that um like incontinence yeah cool so when people think powerlifting and pelvic floors like i've already said a lot of them think mm -hmm. incontinence mm -hmm. so i want to sort of start from square one before we even get to there is lifting heavy weights beneficial, harmful, or neutral for our pelvic floor health? Uh, it's such a common question and it's, it's a really good one, but it's also really hard to give you that direct, like, you know, it's great and bad. The thing is, there's so much subjective, um, I guess, when it even comes to heavy, like, what is heavy like heavy is very different to everybody um and there's quite limited studies in um heavy lifting and the pelvic floor like there's only very recently there's been a bit more happening so um i guess when i say uh, when you say heavy like what do you think like more for a power lifter yeah so i'm thinking like 90 100 I, I expected that there would be ambiguity in the answer. And the good thing about podcasts is we can always sort of get down the rabbit hole and figure out mm -hmm. why there is some, but yeah, when I said lifting heavy, I really did mean in the way that we do power lifting. Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody said to you, Oh, you shouldn't squat that heavy because your pelvic floor will blow out mm -hmm. as a physio, what would be your reflexive response? Okay. So I, I really do believe that and my, I might be biased, but I really do believe that resistance and strength training is extremely important. And if someone's goal is to want to lift and be like elite in powerlifting, then that is their goal. And we have to try and find ways for them to be able to do that. Um, so that is always going to be my kind of concept. And this is why I'm like trying to push like more into lifting and the pelvic floor as well. Um, so firstly um, it'd be, gradual like they, the person needs to make sure that they know that this is a long-term thing and it's not going to be a sudden thing where they're going to lift extremely heavy um all of a sudden um and making sure that they work with someone like a coach who is able to help them do that correctly uh technique is the biggest thing and the biggest key factor uh, when someone is lifting and incontinence most of the times can be fixed if they can fix their their technique, their brace and the way in which they're lifting. And so um, I don't think that it's 
and it's a negative impact on the pelvic floor when it comes to powerlifting. Um, however, doing it correctly is vital for it too. The um, biggest thing that I would consider is like obviously osteoporosis and like, you know, muscle strength is extremely important. And those are things that we can really only maintain with resistance training. And um, powerlifting definitely is something that I can see helps a lot of women too. Um, women and men, of course, um, but I think that it needs to be done correctly. So would you say that lifting with sort of bad technique or unfavorable mm -hmm. technique could actually be damaging to the pelvic floor? Yes, uh, I can definitely say that. Yeah, so um, like poor bracing techniques or trying to go beyond what they are able to do, like capable of doing um, constantly time and time again can definitely cause that because, you know, even when I assess people that come in with, um, with incontinence, like I will always look at how they, they brace and I, I will usually use an ultrasound or either internal, like internal assessment. Um, and sometimes when they're not bracing correctly, I really do feel and see that they are pushing down and bearing down. And so when that happens, um, often you can feel and see the pelvic floor kind of pushing, bearing down, um, and their bladder also getting pushed down as well. And that just means that there is going to be a lot of, um, I guess, increase in pressure downwards. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, you're describing there things that you can see by an ultrasound or things that you can feel in an internal assessment for is there a way that you could describe how it might feel or even how it might look or patterns of muscular activation or something for um for people who are just sort of you know thinking about their own brace or observing other people bracing are there are there characteristics that look like an effective and safe brace to you and ones that look like a brace that's not effective or safe mm -hmm. yeah um so definitely when i guess increase in um like rounding of that lower section of the lumbar usually with a belt as well can uh will definitely increase that pressure downwards so like usually if you see someone collapse and not be able to maintain for example deadlifting um they round or squatting they round and they kind of lose that lower abdominal section and they fold that's often a big sign that they're not they're not able to maintain that brace um the other thing would feeling wise you may feel like you need to like fart constantly or you feel like it's something is really heavy um and deep down in the pelvis though people will usually feel like a groin like heaviness or a lower abdominal heaviness something's pulling bulging type sensation um having incontinence definitely is going to be another thing as well um and then people i guess who will, will tend to like breathe in just into their mouth like i usually find like that big breath in and like holding the air just like that puffer fish kind of just holds yeah <laughs> um I usually tend to see that that often is when they're just breathing into their mouth, but they're not quite getting that lower abdominal kind of brace or that abdominal brace. Yeah. You also said another phrase that I hear quite a lot when people talk about the pelvic floor, which is bearing down. Mm. Um, and I, I actually remember this isn't a call out, but I remember a video by Chris Duffin where he was talking about, he was talking about creating a brace and he actually said like, you want to take that breath in and then bear down. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's an interesting way of phrasing it. And yeah. to me, it actually helped me visualize what I think was a good brace. I didn't pee immediately after I tried it. So I must've been okay. Yeah, but, good. But, but when you, when you describe bearing down, what are you talking about? What does it mean? Like pushing down. So 
pushing down as though like it's kind of that feeling of if you are trying to like poo for example like that's actually my the like I just don't like that cue but I have heard it being used by a lot of um male coaches actually of like you know bracing and thinking that you are like someone actually I've heard I don't know who it was but has said like you know pretending that you are doing like a poo once or something you know and I don't think that's a good cue <laughs> at all no, isn't it? That like, also straining when you poop is associated with like getting hemorrhoids. Yes. So like, and that's so common in, in guys too. Like it's so common. A lot of <laughs> you pointing at Will. <laughs> Not A lot yet. of people know. Do you know how like actually poo posture and like bowel habits is so important? And I feel like people don't realize like the importance of that. Do you guys use a, um, a stool? You know what? I'm so glad I get the chance to talk about this on the podcast yes. because us. my dad yeah. got a squatty potty about a year ago and that's a little stool that you put in front of your toilet Yes, and he thinks it's the best thing in the world. And I've always like, I walk into the toilet and I look at it and I think I'm better than this. I'm not going <laughs> to. And I've thought that for a year and on the weekend I was staying with my parents and for the very first time I sat down and I thought, I'm going to try the squatty potty. Mm. It was unreal. Let right? Me, I was kind of concerned because when you start tucking your knees up towards your chest, like as a guy as well, you just start thinking like, are my bits in a different spot? Like, you know, we got any like <laughs> potential crossover issues here. No problems at all. And it, it felt fantastic. So yeah. there is a completely unpaid um, advertisement for the squatty body <laughs> for anybody else. And apparently they're good for your health. It is. It's, I mean, it's good because, all right, anatomy wise, when we were sitting in a 90 degrees position, like on the toilet, it's, um, I can probably show you guys, but it's hard for people to see. But anyways, we have our, our rectum. Like our you just carry her. She's holding up a model of a rectum. Oh, you just carry that with yeah. you all the time because but you pulled it out of nowhere. It helps. Yeah. I have it next to me. <laughs> I just help it. It helps to explain things and visualize, but Anyways, pelvis, I've got a pelvis too, but so it sits right at the back. Okay. So like here. Okay. Yep. So, and like I said before, the pelvic floor muscles attach from the front to, of the pubic bone to the back. It actually swings and wraps. It's, there's a muscle called the puborectalis and it attaches just like its name pubis around the rectum and it like wraps around when we're sitting upright it actually is on in a little bit more of that contracted position. And that's why when we lean forward a little bit and have our feet elevated, it helps to offload the pull of the pelvic floor and it releases. Otherwise, when we're contracting or when we're sitting upright, it's almost a little bit kinked. Mm. So it changes the angle. Yeah. So that's why like that being, and you know what, Asians, like, you know, <laughs> Asian floors, uh, toilets. Mm. Um, yeah. So apparently that is supposed to be a good angle, but you know, the squatty potty, um, definitely helps to get people in that better position, slightly leaning forward as well. And then the other thing, the biggest mistake people make is like pushing or tensing. So if you notice that your abs are contracted and tight, there's a very likely chance that you are contracting your pelvic floor and that's not what we want to do. You actually want to focus on this is why breathing is important again. So breathing in and remember what I said, when we breathe in, not only do we get expansion through the belly, but we also get lengthening of those muscles. And so when we breathe in and gently imagine bulging your belly forward and opening it up, 
it helps us to go compared to what most people would do is just push and squeeze, which we're actually doing the opposite of. You're contracting your pelvic floor and then you're trying to push at the same time. So yeah, like really important. So Julia 10 guys on squattypotty.com if you want a discount. Um. So bro science, bro science extends all the way to the bathroom. Apparently, it does. Yeah. It's right. important. We, it is important. We did get a little bit off the topic of pelvic floor and lifting, but I feel like that was actually illuminating. So, <laughs> um, so we were talking about urinary incontinence. We yeah. were talking about things that you see in a brace that you would consider ineffective. Yeah. Um, how uh, is there any good data telling us how prevalent pelvic floor dysfunction would be or symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction would be among powerlifters? Yeah. So last like. 2019 there was a study um by someone of australian powerlifters um females only though but yeah so there was like 41 percent of um, prevalence of stress urine incontinence during lifting and i believe it was i think it was only about a percent of those experienced outside of training but like 41 would experience it during training we had you break up like, just a very little bit. Okay, sorry. Um, that was 41% of female powerlifters in Australia experienced incontinent during stress, urine incontinence during training, and 11% is still experienced it in their day-to-day life. Yeah, so that was a recent 2019 study from um, Wakanda, Lolita, I think it was. Yeah, really cool. I'm so glad that you did that. But there is also studies that in like from Perth where um, I think it was like 46% of gym goers experienced incontinence. This is like gen pop. So like it's within that 40% above. Yeah. Um, and high. I was going to say that is very high. Are there particular factors that might increase or decrease the risk of exercises for, for urinary incontinence? So I'm thinking, like things like, you know, is jumping more dangerous than lifting or are these problems load dependent or fatigue dependent? Is there anything you know about that? Yeah, it's definitely load and fatigue dependent. So um, it usually will occur when the person has reached a certain threshold. Um, so, yeah, often if it is um, like their higher 1RM like kind of number or if it is a really high volume that they're unable to maintain, that's usually when it will occur. Um, when it comes to prolapse, though, that is a little bit different because that's already like there's damage to the connective tissue. And so it, it can happen a lot earlier than just urinary incontinence. And that's that's the biggest thing thing that we need to consider though because there's a big issue with the prolapse side of things i was going to say can you just define prolapse for people yeah so that's pelvic organ prolapse and that's when there is a descend of the internal organs so through the pelvic floor from yeah within the pelvis yeah so it's when there could be the bladder that starts to descend down the vaginal path the vaginal pathway or it's the uterus part of the vaginal wall or even the rectum for some people it could even be higher up like intestine that can come down um, into the vagina yeah and you know we talk about like urinary incontinence it's obviously not desirable because like peeing yourself is socially awkward 
But mm-hmm. what are the what are the health implications for people of having this pelvic floor dysfunction? Do they reach beyond that? Yeah. The biggest thing is the fact that yeah, with with Jimmy mainly with incontinence or with prolapse? Uh well, with any pelvic floor dysfunction. So prolapse oh, yeah. sounds like obviously a bad thing. What yeah. other problems are there? Yeah. So with incontinence, it definitely will affect people just confidence and emotional side of things um wise like it actually has you know i've had many lifters come in and be so worried about comp day because they're just worried they're going to pee themselves um in front of everybody and like personally i have experienced that myself and i remember leading up to comp and i was like freaking out um that it was going to happen and just it was not like it just made me feel like I didn't even want to compete, you know? And so in terms of incontinence, that's that. It can actually be assisted. So, I mean, even though we don't want to ignore it, we can still use like liners to assist or a pessary or something to help, um, you know, stop from seeing that. Where it comes to prolapse though, it's, it's more the sensation. Like people will really feel that heaviness and it, that dragging and it doesn't feel right. For some people, it may be coming out even further, like a bulge in the vagina. And that is actually more scary for most people. And usually they will, they will tend to stay away from lifting in general. And that's probably the biggest thing that will stop people from lifting is um, the prolapse. So in terms of how, like I said, detrimental it can be, like it can be very because, you know, people have people end up stopping physical activity because of that. And, um, you know, and that's like we said, again, like resistance training does help with so in so many ways, um, whether it be bone, you know, mineral density, whether it be muscle mass, but it's just like, it will stop people from training and doing things that they love and enjoy. So it really does make a big impact if we, if we ignore it. So before we move on, um, I'd like to backtrack just a little bit to the bracing discussion we were having. Because you identified a few things where you said it's you're not really as happy when you see that like gulping at air, the rounding through the through the lower back, um, and you said you don't like the cue bear down. When you then get somebody and start teaching them how to brace more effectively, mm-hmm. what types of things do you focus on teaching? Focus on so it will start off with how well they can breathe, and if I do see them expand, like. The, not only the belly expansion forward, but can I actually see and feel that they can expand their ribs laterally and basally? So like using the cue of putting the hands on the ribs and feeling that expansion, also feeling that they are able to engage their back as well. Like it's all that, that cylindrical um, muscle tension and engagement that I, that I want to be able to see. Um, making sure that, yeah, like for the people who do the kind of just the puff of face breath, sometimes I, I can definitely see that they're just breathing in and gulping air, but it, they're not quite getting that lower expansion. So that would be something that I'd be looking at first off. And then the other thing is um, actually pushing into the, the abdominal muscles. So like when they they brace and breathe, can I, can I actually break that brace? Like can, when I push in, does their, does their abdominal muscles stay tense or does it actually collapse inwards? So I've just seen a lot of people who tend to just let air go into their belly because they know they have to push their belly out. So they're just pushing out. But so if you actually try that now and just push your belly forward, yeah, like without bracing or tensing, some people just push it forward and it, see how it's soft. You can almost like push your 
stomach in. My belly is pretty soft. soft all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and then when you actually like breathe in, brace, and then contract. So think so tension tense. of the obliques, tension of the abdominals, like the rectus abdominals and the obliques. There's a difference between that. And I think Sorry, some can people, we take a break for a few minutes? Um, my fingers yeah. are bleeding because I was oh, just gosh. tipping up against those razor blade abdominals. <laughs> Okay, that's all. Sorry, we can carry on. She blows. Yeah, Julia, you were Yeah, they're like cheese graters. Oh, gosh, damn. Um, oh. But yeah, so that would be, I guess, the big thing that, I, that I'll tend to see. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the things that anyone can do and coach-wise as well. I think it's really important. Um, the other thing that I do, though, is look at, like, using the ultrasound. I just find it really helpful because I can see the different layers of the abdominal muscles, so whether it be the rectus, from the rectus abdominis, the obliques, and the deep TA, and that helps me to see, like, what are they mainly using? Um, when they brace and contract, what must are they all turning on? Because I want all those muscles to be working. Yeah. Do we tend to, um, like if you were to cue me correctly, Hmm. do you think I would be able to actually develop a sensation of some of those deeper core muscles or is that stuff subconscious? Uh, No, you definitely can build it. I think, um, feedback having like that, um, like actually feeling it though yourself helps the most. Um, so I always get people to like put their hands on, on around their abdominals or using like resistance bands um, and really feeling that expansion or using like some form of weight doing um, like crocodile breathing. I really like when they're lying on their tummy um, and really feeling themselves like kind of brace and push against the floor when they're lying prone on, on their stomachs. So I think those are really good ways. Um, to get that feedback instead of just saying it, you know. You mentioned earlier um, the correlation between weak glutes on one side and an inability to contract the pelvic floor as hard on that side too. Mm-hmm. Are there other things you see? Like do people who are experiencing back pain, say, often have problems with their pelvic floor or is it not really like that? Um, there's not. I mean, some people who have... But I don't actually see too strong of a correlation between like lower back pain and the pelvic floor. It, it's usually is like hips. Like if their hips are a little bit restricted, that can cause that um, because they're not able to get into as much hip flexion. They can load their back a little bit more. Um, I, I've had a, I have had a few clients who had prolapse symptoms and did have a prolapse and complained of like lower sacral back pain. Um, and that, actually is a correlation between like the connective tissue the prolapse pulling down so the connective tissue starts to kind of pull on the sacrum because we have like something called the sacral um tubal ligament that yeah that sorry that connects to that area um now obviously alex and i are men and i think that men very commonly think of pelvic health issues as just the women's domain yeah. Um, and, you know, you even mentioned that that study in powerlifters was only on females. Mm. Do you have any idea what the difference in prevalence is between men and women having pelvic floor issues and why men maybe ought to care about them? Yes, there are definitely stats. Like the Australian, um, I think it was Welfare, Health Institute of Welfare, I think that's what it was. Um, but we have actually, for men, it's incontinence is about 13%. So one in eight men experience urinary incontinence. 
Is that, with, is that with training? No, this is like general. There, there are actually aren't, this might be something good to, to think about, but actually, um, yeah, there aren't any particular athlete or lifting studies for, for men. Yeah, that I've, I haven't actually looked into it either, which actually might be good. As I delve into it, I will let you guys know. Um, but this is for Gen Pop and just in general in Australia, 13%, so one in eight, whereas it's 37%, one in three for women. And even, but fecal incontinence though is higher in men. So it's 20% in men. So that's like a one in five. And then for women, it's like a 12.9%. So yeah, fecal incontinence is actually higher. And I know that colorectal issues are higher in men too. And that's why I brought up the poo thing. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I'm sure 50% of our listener base loved the poo conversation. Yes. (laughs) Um, And the other 50%, hopefully they just fast forwarded. Um, So you mentioned a few drills that you do when, when you're trying to teach people to brace, you mentioned things like crocodile breathing, using a band, having external cueing like you or like external feedback, you poking at their tummy. Um, when, you know, if Alex and I are coaches, if we're writing training programs for people, yeah. what are there aspects that we might modify as coaches that could help with people's pelvic floor strength and function? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Um, looking at positions like I, I would suggest like training in different positions as well so I know you guys love SEMO <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's the um, there is actually a higher like stress there is higher stress incontinence in SEMO positions because <laughs> the pelvic floor is on stretch all the more reason not to do it I was gonna say though but sometimes being in wide stance positions and training your pelvic floor training the body in those positions actually might be something to maybe think about like changing so that you're in a lengthened position and loading it because powerlifting is very quite like sagittal we are usually in that close stance so in terms of building strength, maybe thinking about more like, you know, strengthening in different ranges of motion. But yes, definitely that wider stance puts the pelvic floor more in stretch. Um, I mean, even just, I mean, the main thing will be the, vo- the volume, I guess, for most people, particularly for women, uh, when they're fatigued, they may not be recovering as much if they're increasing load too quickly, for example, and they're starting to experience any symptoms like this, then that's definitely to, something to look at. Um, I still do believe that abdominal exercises are like, are good to do. Um, you know, not just the brace in the lifting, but maybe some targeted exercises where people can work through different ranges of motion and still engage the abdominals. Um, yeah, I think those are definitely things I think will help. Um, yes. Uh, you can keep going. Oh yeah. Just, just seeing that, um, people who are able to maintain, uh, or engage their abdomen in different positions. So like, you know, if they do end up rounding they can still maintain like that brace in those positions i think that's also another thing yeah i was going to ask if there's any correlation between uh periods of time in the menstrual cycle and Mm -hmm. when when women will experience incontinence yeah oh i think you guys had some um was it a coach that talked about we had lyle mcdonald on to talk yeah Back, eh? That was a while ago, but I'm talking specifically with incontinence. Is there any mm. correlation between certain times in the cycle and when yes. women are going to be more likely to experience it? 
Yeah, so it's definitely most common around like usually a week before people get their periods. That's usually when they'll experience it the most. Um, and also around that ovulation period. So that's usually the time when incontinence is like higher. So um, that's often when the, the uh, hormones are changing a little bit more. So they're getting a little bit more lax as their estrogen levels start to, to rise too. And that's usually when it will happen. So maybe even programming wise, um, you know, considering that. Yeah. So I was going to ask about programming. So as a coach, say I had a, a female athlete I was working with who did experience urinary incontinence and let's just say it reliably mm -hmm. kicks in when she starts handling around 90% loads. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's a realistic scenario, but let's, let's just say that's it. What yeah. kinds of triggers might I think of pulling as a coach to help like manage those symptoms while still getting her stronger? Yeah. Um, so if that's all, they always hit that point and it, it happens, I guess yeah. the first thing I would do is look at, you know, if there is any technique breakdown um, that might be causing it. So again, any amount of increase in intra-abdominal pressure, so rounding or when they're losing that tension, um, that's already a sign that something might be needed. I'd be looking at like what the hip uh, mobility is like, like if they are, they're not able to flex from the hip, is that what's causing them to round? Is their thoracic restricted? Do they need to be actually strengthen up a little bit more from their upper thoracic because they, they're actually losing that usually with a squat or with deadlifts? Um, so I'd be considering those things and looking at accessories to assist with, with that. Um, so yeah, I guess as a coach looking at what their weakness is at that point and why are they breaking down at that point? Um, again, I mean, if it's constantly happening, they may, it's a strength issue, I would say, or like they, they might be a threshold issue there. Um, referral, I guess, to a, definitely to a pelvic floor physio to make sure that maybe it is their pelvic floor that needs to catch up. So I like to think about, well, the muscles of the pelvic floor, like any other accessory, like we have to load your back, like we have to load other areas of the body. So why, why would we neglect loading the pelvic floor. There are actually weights. I wish I had it here to show you guys, but there are like pelvic floor weights as well that we would use to increase. Like they're actually, I'll show you next time, Hazy, when you come in, but like they're literally like, like you can add little loads, like five gram, 10 grams and people strengthen and work on loading up the pelvic floor too. So yeah, those are definitely things that I would consider. I'm glad you brought up the referral pathway because yeah. the sort of next couple of questions are on our itinerary had to do with that. So obviously you have a lot of expertise in this area and as coaches, Alex and I certainly don't. So if, you know, if I did have a client who was having that experience and I said, you should go talk to Julia, mm -hmm. um, what would somebody who walks in the door to you expect to happen? Like what are normal assessment procedures and what types of interventions might you use with them? Yeah. Well, so I always start off with getting an idea, like obviously understanding when they're experiencing the incontinence. Um, so that's really helps to give me an idea of what we need to work on and what we may need to focus on. Um, the other thing would be definitely getting a musculoskeletal history. I really, because I have more of a musk background, I will look externally first. So even just looking at their hip ranges, thoracic, like I said, hip thoracic ranges, how are they breathing? How are they bracing? Glute strength 
as well. Um, and then how are they using their abdomen, like when they're bracing? Um, I'll usually get them lifting too, just to see what their pattern is like. And then an internal assessment is definitely necessary. So um, expecting like a vaginal assessment um, to make sure that, you know, that's the only way that we're going to know if their pelvic floor muscles are tight or if, you know, if they're weak. Um, and in terms of programming, um, that's when I will be giving them like a bit more of a specific program on how many reps and sets they should be doing their pelvic floor activation. Should they be holding? Is it more an endurance issue and they need to actually work on holding or is it a max strength issue? Are they just finding it hard to lift, engage and let go? Um, it's really important that people don't just randomly start doing pelvic floor exercises as well, because I find that especially with powerlifters, they actually, um, have stronger pelvic floor muscles already, but they don't know how to let it go. Like they actually don't know how to relax it. So they're constantly under tension. And so like any muscle, if it's constantly under tension, it does get weaker like over time too, because it can't contract, it can't relax and contract. Yeah. So those are things I'll be looking at. You mentioned internal assessment um, yeah. for women. Yeah. For men who have pelvic floor issues, um, is there an equivalent? Like, do you, yeah. is there a way that you can do an internal assessment for men? Yes. So it is from the anus. And I guess this is the biggest thing that defers men from getting help. But um, yeah, there are many pelvic floor physios, uh, men's pelvic floor physios as well um, that do that too. So they may be using device. It'd be a gloved finger to assess. Um, and all there are devices that people use to, to feel and see if they're engaging their pelvic floor or if they're tight. Yeah. So, I mean, you work at PB Physio, mm -hmm. um, great team of physiotherapists who collaborate with a lot of strength coaches. Mm -hmm. So if you had advice to strength coaches who wanted to start collaborating better with allied health, yeah. what types of things can coaches do to foster better relationships with the physios and practitioners that they work with? Yeah, definitely having that open communication. Um, you know, the easiest thing is to reach out and message. We're so lucky these days that we have social media and like it's so easy to just message somebody. Um, so yeah, like definitely through social media, um, yeah, them messaging, asking, even asking questions. There's heaps of coaches and like physicians, like physios, even that will just randomly message. Um, and I'm always happy to answer questions and heaps of other physios will be most likely too. But I think that's just reaching out is the first start for sure. Well, for me, I mean, that's every question I have. Do you have anything to add? No, I'm all good. All right. In that case, we're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to come back and hit Julia with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. We are here still with Jules and she just forgot to mention um, an important point, which is important to bring up, obviously, which is why we're doing that now, um, which is that a lot of lifters have their belts too tight, which can have an impact on uh, pelvic floor strength. So did you want to elaborate on that, Jules? Yes. Not so much the strength only, but it's more like that increase in pressure. Mm -hmm. So um, I really like it actually happens quite often. It's such a quick fix for coaches and also for athletes too. But having the belt on way too tight is going to make it hard for you to actually brace um, and get those abs like firing as well as getting that increase in like uh, 
like that basal expansion. And so I find that a lot of people experience incontinence when their belt is too tight or they're pushing way too hard into the belt than needed. So I think that will be one of the first things as a powerlifting coach and as an athlete to just reassess and make sure that your belt isn't too tight. You should be able to at least fit your hand in and form that fist and not pull it out. But if you can't fit your hand in at all, then, or you can't breathe, there's a high chance it's too tight. That was going to be my question was what's a good marker for how tight is too tight? Yeah. So, so like when, that. yeah. What was your question? <laughs> yeah. That was actually my question yeah, nice. as well. Cool. Yeah, okay. Right. Get that out of the park, Julia. Well done. <laughs> yeah. um. All right. Well, let's move on to the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Okay. Um, Jess Suostanko has cheated and told Jules all the questions. So well, we're, not, asked, we're, not, uh, we're not going to catch her off guard here. Are you ready to go? Yes. All right. Question one. If you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Okay, so my answer was gonna is going is um, on San Suchi, which is like a she's actually a political um, leader for Burma and for Myanmar, and like yeah, she's just someone who has inspired me as I've like grown up. She was you know placed under house arrest for about 15 years because she was fighting for democracy for Burma. But recently there's like the past three years, there's been some crazy, like there's been some issues in the country, um, particularly to, to do with like racial differences. And, you know, there's a lot of like bad kind of, uh, talk about her too so i'd be cool to actually chat to her and be like what is going on <laughs> you know yeah, i was gonna say there's a um she's a very interesting character because she won a nobel peace prize didn't yeah. she um you know she fought so hard for democracy and now there's the accusations of genocide yeah um you know leveled against and like as in government supported genocide which is mm. which is dreadful so she'd be a very interesting person yeah. to talk to because she's either like an incredible fall from grace or somebody who's somehow had one of the nicest reputations in the world sullied entirely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, interesting dinner guest. Yeah. Way yeah. to make it, way to make it really depressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question, <laughs> question two, who is your favorite athlete of all time? So I was going to actually say, Liz, because she gives me a bit more hope of like powerlifting and, you know, having had a child and still getting to that world standard. And she's just like a really you know, down to earth person. And yeah, it's just the biggest thing right now that I'm like kind of pushing and fighting against is like people trying to stop females from lifting um, and powerlifting particularly. And the fact that she has been able to do that and do so well, I think I would say her. <laughs> so we're going to trim that bit out of the podcast because Liz's ego is already big enough. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Liz is a badass. Liz is great. She pays us off every week to mention that she's a badass at least once. Um, so there you go, <laughs> Liz. That's your shout out for the week. <laughs> All right. Question three, which movie or television character do you most resemble? Yeah, I found this one really hard. <laughs> but I think um, I was thinking, I don't, do you guys watch, have you guys watched Avatar The Last Airbender? Of course I have. Of course. One. Yeah, go on. Um, well, I was going to say, I would love to say Ang, but I think maybe I'm like more like the Katara girl. <laughs> In personality, do you think you're more like Ang or more like Katara? I think I'm more like Katara. <laughs> 
Well, you certainly don't look more like Aang than you do Katara. Yeah. <laughs> Do I, do I look like Aang? <laughs> Bald and like... Yeah, if you shaved your head and tattooed yeah. an arrow on it, then maybe oh, Aang. But yeah, it's probably like... It's a nearly perfect show, hey. It's <gasps> just so yes. good. I love that you love it. It's so hard to find people that enjoy it. <laughs> really? I Like anybody I know who's actually watched Avatar... Yeah, not the movie, not the movie. <laughs> no, no, not the movie. And well, just to be clear, not the movie with the blue people... And oh, no. definitely not the movie with M. Night Shyamalan or whatever. Yes. Oh, God. Um, God, there's a difficult name to pronounce. You think yeah, yes. Hyang's hard. Uh, did yeah, I get that no, wrong? No, you got it wrong that time. Fuck. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's all right. You got it the first time. <laughs> well, yeah, let's move on. Question four. Your life's being made into a movie montage. You get to choose the music that it's made to. Mm-hmm. What would you pick? So... I'd start off with Till I Collapse on my m M&M, and then it'll remix into Dance Kadura. I can't even say it. Do you know that Latino song? Dan, um, can you like just hum the melody? Goes, na 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 na, na 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 na, na 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 na, Dance Kadura. <laughs> can't sing. Uh, it rings very. Guys, <gasps> I it, know it. It rings vague bells. I reckon if uh, if we look it up. We right. know it. Dance, how's it said? Dancer Kudura. Dancer Kudura. D A N Z O, I think. Danzo Kudura. We I will. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Copyright. Oh, well, no. Really? <laughs> Am I allowed to? Yeah, just do it. Whatever. It's this one. Nobody listens this far into the podcast. At oh, this yeah, point, we is. can talk about anything. Oh, no, it's not the right one. Oh, oh yeah. It was people because it was in Fast and Furious, I think. Oh wait, was it people? I don't know. Sounds Anyways, like the proper one. That sounds like peak people. Before Pitbull got really popular, apparently he rapped a lot in Spanish and he could like actually spit. Really? Which I didn't realise. Yeah. Still does rap in Spanish. Interesting. Yeah, just, that's just the stuff that doesn't, that doesn't get on the radio. Oh, right. Well, people, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide, he's got an unfairly bad reputation because he's still mm. the man. Yeah. Julia, yes. that has been, for me, a very, very informative episode. Um, so thank you so yeah. much for having joined us. Before we let you go, you have one more job. Well, kind of two jobs. One is if there's anything you think we missed or just a general message you want to get out there, Mm-hmm. And by all means, spit. Um, and otherwise, if people want to get in contact with you, either for treatment or just to pick your brain, um, mm-hmm. where can they do so? Yeah. Well, so I guess the biggest thing would be not to ignore this. Like pelvic floor issues um, definitely can like cause a lot of like problems with people's mental health and also in terms of performance too. So instead of ignoring it, be open with your coaches. If you're an athlete, if you're a coach, also be open with your athlete um, and then lead them into the right direction instead of just ignoring it. Um, That'll be my biggest advice that I'd say. It's nothing to be embarrassed of, but it's also, yes, definitely something not to ignore. Um, In terms of where to contact me, uh, Pelvic Strong on Instagram or PB Physio as well. So I also like I can see the message, like I can message back on PB Physio too. Um, but yes, Marrickville is where I work um, at the clinic. Yeah. 
Awesome. Dope. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's been Weekly Weights for the week. I'm Will at W.BerkmanPT. I'm Alex, Alex Hayes underscore process. And we'll talk to you maybe next week. Maybe. <laughs>